0: Engineers always want it perfect, right? So sometimes you have to set a date, and then you know, good enough is good enough. As long as it, it doesn't fall over in a demo, it's, it's probably good enough. And even when it falls over, it's, you know, sometimes you can work around it. Budget overruns,
1: brick devices, data breaches, building connected products is hard welcome to over the air sharp unfiltered conversations with executives about their iot journeys the mistakes they made the lessons they learned and what they wish they'd known when they started i'm your host ryan prosser welcome back to over the air iot connected devices and the journey my name is ryan prosser ceo of very and today we're joined by andre jacobs chief of product engineering at iot next We're going to be talking about developing an IoT product, in this case a platform, when you aren't necessarily an IoT company and what that looks like. Andre, thanks for being on the show. Hi, Ryan. Thanks for having me. So we talked a little bit about this. You guys are an IoT company. You've got a platform I think a lot of folks are familiar with, but maybe weren't. This wasn't always the story for you guys. Tell us a little bit about IoT next. Give us 30 seconds of background for folks that are hearing your name for the first time.
0: Sure, IT.next Next uh, started about seven years ago. We've been going from strength to strength, growing quite quite quickly. We're pretty well funded at this stage, which wasn't always the the background. And uh, yeah, we're pretty much global now and uh, doing some incredible work. So you
1: teed it up perfect. You know things didn't always look like this. You hear this a lot in tech. You know that that folks had to kind of cross the, their own desert at some point. Give us a little bit of the origin story. I love you guys' origin story. It's a very human story. Run us back seven years or so, you know, to the beginning of this story. of What that looked like before the strength to strength.
0: Sure. I mean, we started out pretty small, and uh, we received uh, some initial funding, but it uh, it wasn't a lot in a bigger scheme of things. And uh, yeah, I think. What made us unique back then is while people were still talking about IoT and doing a lot of presentations, we had to actually fight for projects and actually, you know, come up with solutions and implement those solutions to to get revenue, to stay alive. So it was uh, it was interesting in those early days. We're still figuring out what we wanted to do, a lot of bespoke IoT solutions, and we got involved in every single business that you can think of. We ended up being involved in over 17 verticals, which was insane. You know, anything from security to smart spaces, smart cities, buildings, to going underground and connecting mining machines. So it was pretty intense, yeah. We even have a story where we connected a a coffee machine, and we used to lug the coffee machine around from show to show to show people kind of what we can do, creating a, a coffee, ordering a coffee on your app. But yeah, so literally anything that uh, we, we could do, we did uh, for revenue, basically, which is great. I think we learned a lot from that. So in the early days, it was figuring things out and learning a lot from our experience and, and making things work. So I think for folks
1: out there listening, you know, if I'm hearing you right, and I think, you know, I've been through this story definitely 100% myself in tech. You know, it, it, the name of the game is kind of surviving long enough to learn what you should be doing with the company, because very few companies start out with product market fit. In fact, I mean, it rounds to zero, the number that do. And so, it, it, you hear this a lot, and a lot of companies aren't you know, as comfortable maybe talking about it, but everyone goes through this journey, not everyone, a lot of people go through this journey, where it's like, listen, we're gonna have to do what it takes to survive, take whatever business, you talked about 17 different verticals, whatever, obviously unsustainable, definitely not scalable, but it provided you guys the opportunity, I'm guessing, I see you nodding, but I want to hear you know if this is actually true for you guys. It provided the opportunity to kind of look for patterns. Okay, what are some repeated themes, or pain points we're seeing from clients? Hey, time and again, we're seeing X, but we've only seen the coffee thing, maybe, for example, one time. You know, it was flashy and cool, but like really what we're seeing is patterns over here. What, I see you nodding. Talk about some of those patterns that came out of the, that noisier
0: period? Yeah, I I think there was a a couple of things, right? So on the one side, you have the technology drive and how you would, um, you know, constantly evolve that. But then on the other side, you have your various customers and you start seeing some overlap between what they want, even though the verticals are quite different, right? So every vertical you have to, like, get into and you need to understand how that works. But there's some overlap in terms of, you know, connecting things, taking that data, doing something with it, visualizing it, you know, and providing some insights from that. So the bigger themes is sort of what we focused on. And then over time, we evolved our technology to get to the right space.
1: Yeah, you talk about evolving the technology to get to the right space. What was, again, keep us just for a second in this early stage. I think there's a lot of folks at home nodding their heads saying, my God, a lot of this sounds like where we are now. What's your message to those folks that are in that unscalable period of time in terms of like, what did it look like? What was the pathway through it? Signals you were looking at to say, this is real signal versus false positive. I assume at this time, you guys were saying, listen, we've got to get to a scalable place, right? That was probably a a repeated theme of that era. What, What were some of the things that like, or was there ever a time that you said, this is it. I can hear the clicking noise of market opportunity in this moment. Do you recall a moment like that?
0: Absolutely. I still vividly remember that moment. So if you think of how we how we uh, tackled every single project, it was literally, you know, next big thing coming in, and then literally shifting all the developers, especially the developers, onto that new opportunity, and then giving it your all you know, working long hours, weekends, etc., cetera, just to, to make sense of this opportunity and to develop all that software that goes with it to make it work.
1: This episode is brought to you by Very, the worldwide leaders in IoT technology development. Do you have a commercial or industrial IoT project? IoT is a journey. Start yours at com
0: But, I mean, obviously that's not sustainable. So... The negatives of that is you literally shift as you as you get bigger and bigger opportunities, you shift the whole company to focus on the new opportunities. And you kind of leave your your existing clients a little bit, uh, which is not great because you always have to look, have to go back and, and, and rework things and, and improve things. So that's not really sustainable. And I remember sitting there in a in a meeting in a boardroom and our then CEO looking at me and saying, look, Andre, there must be there must be a better way of doing this. And luckily, I've been feeling this pain for a while. I've been thinking about this. And I said, yeah, sure there is. We just need a platform. And, and that's how it started. So he looked at me and he didn't quite understand what I was meaning. He, he was thinking we need a product. But, you know, I pretty much figured out that stage. and I wanted to do something. And he said, fine, take a few people. You've got uh, four months. And I said, I don't think we're going to do it in four months. He said, fine, take five, five months. Now that's the deadline. And uh, yeah, I took, took about 10% of the company's developers and uh, we managed to, do, to get the first version into production in just over seven months, which we are pretty proud of.
1: You know, I've been, a, I've been close enough to enough of these projects and I've been close enough to enough as CEO to know when the CEO says five months and it's gonna be seven, that two months is often terrible you know, what was that like for you guys? What did it feel? I mean, you tell it now as if five and seven, it's approximately the same. At that time, was that just like a brutal eight weeks?
0: Yeah, look, uh, we were literally managing the company week by week. Like I said, uh, yeah, revenue funding was not, wasn't that forthcoming. Uh, so we literally managed the, the company week by week. It was, it was tough. So extra two months to tune a bit, that was, that was tricky. Uh, And even that moment, I remember uh, because now we're stretching it, right? And again, the CEO, he he walks past, he he stands next to me and he says, so I've scheduled the public launch for the 26th of March, and we've invited about 500 people. So what are you presenting? I'm like, okay, I don't think we've agreed on this date yet. And I don't think the software is ready yet, but okay, we'll make it work. And we did. For the
1: audience. I suspect this is not something that a lot of you are hearing for the first time. CEOs love to put dates down and then pretend that that magically means thing must happen by date. You know, they love to do this. And so what you're hearing from Andre is like, listen, you know, the engineers are going to do the best they can to produce something by then. But like just setting a date doesn't mean that that is when the baby will be born. You know, this babies take a certain amount of time in the womb and so forth. And it's you hear this repeated theme. It's hilarious, and I, I do it see all the time. And I say, listen, it's May first. We're doing it on May first. I saw Steve Jobs do something like we're doing it. You know, and I know now. I've seen enough of these deployments to know sometimes it takes seven months. You know, just saying five doesn't mean that it changes the math. I assume this. I see you smiling. This is this is something that you've experienced as well.
0: Yeah, I think I be good these days with my guys you know set a date then it's kind of focus everybody if you leave it open ended until it's ready it'll probably never be ready you know people always engineers always want it perfect right so sometimes you have to set a date and then you know good enough is good enough as long as it, it doesn't fall over in a demo it's, it's probably good enough and even when it falls over it's, you know sometimes you can work around it.
1: I just want to break uh, from the interview for a second, a note for the audience. I spent the last 20 minutes trying to figure out what the noise is that the microphone is picking up. You know, it sounded like there's a thunderstorm happening where you are, isn't
0: there? I'm in the what they call the high felt. And we get more lightning strikes per square kilometer than anywhere else in the world. So we get these pretty intense thunderstorms. So unfortunately, good timing.
1: Cool. So, if you're uh, listening at home, there actually, I think one of my questions was punctuated. I could see the lightning behind you was punctuated by a pretty massive thunderbolt, which I, you know, felt pretty cool. So, very Old Testament. I thought, okay. So, let's get back to the interview. So, tell me a little bit about, like, you talked about taking ten percent of the folks with you. CEO said five months. It took seven months. We can zoom past this a little bit. Those are interesting details. But, like, tell us a story about. The trend, you know, transitioning from bespoke software development—you know, this is what my company does. This is our bread and butter. But a lot of companies in our space attempt to make the transition that you guys successfully pulled off, going from bespoke to products. What did that look like for you guys?
0: You know, I've, I've coined a term internally, uh, call it forced innovation. We didn't really have a choice. We didn't have the luxury of time, time to value, and yes, we couldn't scale at the the rate that we had to by employing more developers it just didn't work for us the, the the commercials didn't work so we had to do it which was good so again focuses of the mind get us to a point where we had to launch and those those first couple of months after we've launched was kind of was kind of strange uh, people didn't uh, quite understand you know they we're still used to chucking it over the wall for the developers to do and uh, you know we started chucking it back and saying but you know you can do it yourself you don't need a developer here you can just you know configure this drag and drop that set up this and then there's your solution so there's quite a bit of a change in our business to get people to understand that they can self-service and then obviously as they get into it then then the real interesting bits start where people are saying okay this is cool but you know can you do this and can you add this and can you create this thing so that's where we really started embarking and saying, okay, well, yeah, we can do this, but uh, yeah, let's pull in the rest of the, the team into this space. And uh, we slowly evolved all the developers. I say slowly, it's probably less than a year, evolved all the developers into that space. And then at some point, we we had a pretty good platform going, but there was always that little bit of extra customers want, that little bespoke bit. And we probably had about... You know, 30, 30% of the team focusing on bespoke but you know, I would say in the last six months we pulled that in as well and sitting well below six, uh, Sorry, 10% now uh, which is really good for us.
1: I wanted to talk about This transition you guys have pulled off, I always think these are fascinating because this is like a DNA level change. You know, you're going from a service oriented company to a product driven company. I think if you haven't been a part of this in your career, it's easy to say, like, whatever, it's still tech, it's still IoT. This is a huge shift. You know, I mean, the sales team has to evolve from selling services to selling products. The marketing team has to evolve from marketing services to products. These are very different people, oftentimes involving completely different personnel. So those departments, you know, will experience enormous change and turnover, or at least retraining of those folks as they kind of retool. Can you talk through the lens of the the technical team? You know, you talked about initially it was 10% of the company, Embarked with you on this journey at some point, you guys said this is the future of the company. You know, I assume today that 10% is probably 90% and 10 and that it's flipped and now 10% probably remain on the implementation side, something like that. What is am I characterizing that correctly? And like, what has that looked like culturally for you guys to pull that off? And for listeners at home, you know, if you folks embarking on a journey like this, I think this is probably one of the most underestimated pieces of this. So I'm always very curious you know, to poke at how leaders pulled this off. I think this is one of those tar pits that like can sink leaders because they it's sneaky difficult. It has, what's, Andre, tell us about your experience.
0: Yeah, Ryan, you nailed it. It's not easy. So, and, you know, we where the focus and the pressure was always pretty much on the development team. You know, some of that's shifted now to, to other areas. Like I say, you know, we need to figure out how to price the thing how to how to market it, how to how to get different skill set of people in to configure those solutions and get them into the customers' hands. And with that comes the ability to scale quite a bit as well. So, you know, the projects that we had seven years ago is tiny in comparison with what we have now. And often with that comes global challenges, etc. So um yeah, it was tough. And and we did go through a period of uh, quite a bit of change, people not not understanding the challenge and not liking the the pressure. So there was some turnover in certain sections of the business to to make that work.
1: Can you give us a specific for instance of a chapter or topic that was particularly difficult? Was there a pocket of for example, like you've got a bunch of engineers that are custom to service oriented engagements now they're focused on product. You know, was there a contention of folks that said, listen, I, I'm not interested in that. You know, I really like the service-oriented business or were there other pockets of folks that just, it was difficult to bring them along on this journey? And, and can you share lessons learned on that?
0: Oh, definitely. I think we're in the past, it was almost the delivery side of the business, driving figuring out what the customers want and then dictating that to the development team. What they had to do now was to understand the technology as well. Um, you know, how do I apply what the customer wants, given that there's a structure within which I have to work? So you can't just come up with completely bespoke solutions. You have to think of how the platform works, how those different components interact, and what tools are available for you. If you go completely on your own script, then obviously, you know, that becomes a very expensive project where if you stay along the lines of the architecture and you know what's possible within the, the platform, it becomes a very cost-effective and a quick time-to-value project. So, yeah, I, I would say people had to, to skill themselves up to understand what is possible, what can be used. It's putting different pressures on our, our side now as well. We, we have to drastically improve our documentation. We have to come up with ways to create videos and uh, training material for people to, to be skilled up quicker. On the other side, you know, we, we're also a fast-growing company, so there's lots of new faces every month, uh, and we need to skill these people up. I think uh, the, current, the current challenge now is, is getting people to understand you know, what's possible in the platform.
1: So it's been an amazing journey. I mean, this seven-year story feels more like 20. You know, I mean, it's just a lot of change in a you know, relatively short amount of time. Seven years goes fast, I, I suspect, is most people's view. Talk to me about, like, well, this is a pun. Okay, so let's pretend pun intended. What's next for IoT Next? Like, talk to me about 23. What are, some, what are we going to see as the calendar rolls over, We're recording this in Q4 2022? You know, what does the future hold for 23 and beyond for you guys? Yeah, let's
0: give you a little bit, Of that, I need to go back slightly. So we are busy with what we call our fourth generation products. So where the first generation was pretty much on-prem, the second generation was web-based, the third generation was cloud-based, which was the first platform play, by the way. So we're busy now with a a massive refresh of our platform, making it uh, more easy to use, more user-friendly, a bit of mobile first on some of the applications. And we're also launching a bunch of new applications within this uh, this platform. We're launching uh, 14 refreshed or new products. So yeah, it's it's uh, going to be a pretty busy year for us.
1: You so see, you mentioned fourth generation rollout. I'm a parent. I know a lot of parents. I, you know, officially, we have to say we love all our kids the same. Which of your generation rollouts at the time do you think had held the, the highest level of excitement for you?
0: Oh, beyond doubt, the the third generation, getting to that point where we could actually uh, unify everything that we've done under a platform that was uh, that was amazing. Amazing. When you talk with
1: product people, it is consistent and it's amazing. You hear second or third generation a lot, you know, because the first generation proved it was possible, but the second or the third, you know, is usually where you start to see dreams come true. You start to see the vision come together the iPhone is a great example. The iPhone did not roll out with the App Store, and I don't think the first iPhone came with a camera. You know, so I think they were the first ones that like kind of proving out some concepts, can this one button thing work? Can we make the you know, people going to buy it? Is This price point going to work? But, you know, iPhone 2, iPhone 3, this was where we really started to see the vision of like all these different products in one come together. And so I hear you saying, "Listen, V3 was like really special for me." What part of V four
0: are you most pumped about? I would say definitely the, the front end. We've really spent a lot of time redesigning every single front end from, from the from the smallest component all the way up to, you know, the complete look and feel, the theming, the mobile front ends. So that's something that we're really proud of across every single element of all the, the various tools and front ends. So it was a pretty big job to do, and uh, yeah, we reached really have to, to roll that out. That's awesome.
1: Yeah, the people love a good front-end redesign. So is this live now, or is this coming soon?
0: So we decided not to do a big bang, so we're incrementally rolling these out. So some of it is live, and uh, some is coming in the next, uh, say, three to six months. Cool.
1: One last question for you. This is a personal favorite of mine. I always love to give shouts out to uh, other folks in the industry that aren't getting enough love. I believe you're the first person we've had on the show from South Africa. You know, What's a name that not enough people are talking about in, in IoT world? Bonus points if you can give us uh, you know, somebody from South Africa.
0: Yeah, I'd love to, to find one of our, our partners. They're called Pragma. Pragma started out in South Africa, but they're a global company now as well. And uh, they started out with uh, looking after uh, maintenance of machines and factories. And they've evolved over the last couple of years and they uh, closely incorporated our platform into into their services. So they're evolving into an IoT play. Great to see them grow. Cool,
1: congratulations. Tell me, give me that name again.
0: Pragma. Pragma,
1: all right. You heard it here first. Well, Andre, thank you so much for being on the show today.
0: Thanks, Ryan, it's been a pleasure.
1: And thank you for listening. Join us next time as we meet with another IoT executive to talk about what went wrong on a journey that went right. Over the Air is brought to you by Very. To find out more about us, head over to verypossible.com and make sure to search for Over the Air in Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or anywhere else great podcasts are found. Don't forget to click subscribe to ensure you don't miss any future episodes. On behalf of the team here at Very, thanks for listening.